Good backstory. So yesterday we're decide, trying to decide on what movie we want to go see. We hear there's one about kind of a true story about a bear, but we decided to go to see Creed 3 because it's not a true story. And it's no spoiler here, but it's all this backstory about Creed, young Creed, Creed Jr., or the slanderous baby Creed. But the whole movie is about going back and forth between where he's come from, what he's experienced, and into his present day. And the reason why I know we love a good backstory is because this is us. Right? I mean, if you are like, I won't clap for a raucous worship song, but I got a little bit teary thinking about the show, This Is Us. <laughs> That's right. This is us, goes back and forth between the past and the present. And man, if you wanted a good cry, all you had to do was turn on one of those episodes every single time. So backstories are important because backstories allow us to understand what's happening in the present. And here we are in the second chapter that we have in our Bibles of this letter that Paul has written to the Galatian church more of his backstory. It's on page 972 in your blue Bible, which is right in front of you, that is underneath the card that you haven't filled out yet, but you're going to fill it out during the sermon when you get bored. Again, it's funny because it's true. <laughs> then after 14 years, I, Paul, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel of the circumcised, for he who worked with Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Now, it's very important for us, and, uh, and I've been kind of harping on this for some extended period of time. One thing that we need to do that is hard for us to break from is we need to stop calling this the book of Galatians because it's not a book. It's a letter. And the context and the genre of the text is important for us to understand because when we talk about Galatians as if it's a book, we miss out on what it's trying to do and what Paul is trying to do. Likewise, I've been on this kick about reading large chunks of Scripture together. And so if you've been going through this Lenten booklet, um, you've noticed that each Monday 
Um, I have you reading a whole chapter of this letter that Paul has written to the Galatian church. Sidebar, if you're going through this, I would love to get your feedback after Easter. So anyways, it's important to go through large chunks of text because we miss out and misunderstand what the text is trying to do when we dissect it. Now, as I've talked about on Wednesday nights, we oftentimes dissect it because, frankly, no one wants to be at church for three hours. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But when we are personally sitting at home, it's important for us or in groups to read large chunks of Scripture together. And uh, this man crush that I have, this guy, his name is Tim Gombas. He is, a, he is a New Testament scholar, and he has a podcast that I listen to regularly. And he challenged uh, his listeners a few weeks ago to take a chunk of text like Galatians and read through it every single day in one sitting for 30 days. So that's what I've been doing. And you start to see themes that pop up that Paul is trying to tell the Galatian church. And so another thing that I like to do is is you can take and you can copy and paste. It's the Bible, so it's not really copyright protected. And then you can make one large Word document, or those of you who are not into Microsoft stuff, your open source Google Doc. And you can take out all the chapters, all the verses, all the headings, and then you can just read through it and really get the flow. Because really... What Paul is saying here in 2 is a continuation of what he's been saying earlier in 1, and what he continues to say in 2 should not be separated from what he's already saying. So, all that to say, highly recommend, and if you want this document, I can email it to you. It's free. And then you can read through Galatians, as I have been doing, in one sitting and not be distracted by the various headings or the breaks. So Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians. When was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody? Not an email, like a straight up pen to paper letter. And then you put it in the mail. And then they received it. Or when was the last time you received a letter? See, I used to, I know we've talked about this before, I used to write letters to Nikki, and Nikki used to write letters to me. And these are a few of them. And it's interesting because in this letter, I say, she's in New Mexico, I'm in Missouri. I'm praying for you and knowing that you will be able to work things out with Mark. God will take care of you as he has been us. At first, I was extremely mad at that guy about what he did. But then I felt sorry for him that he doesn't know any better. I don't know what I'm saying. Or this, this letter, I was in Illinois, and she was in Minnesota. This evening, Ben and I went up to my cousin's hole of an apartment and then to Lyft, but the weight room was closed, so we just looked around the campus, University of Illinois, and walked home because everyone at my cousin's house was partying. Tomorrow, we're driving up to Chicago to go to a Cubs game. We decided that tonight just on a whim. I can't wait to go up and experience Chicago since the first time I was there it was only for an hour. Why do I read that? What does that have to do with Galatians? Well, part of Galatians is Paul is writing to these people that he has already established a relationship with. 
Paul plants this, these churches in this region of Galatia, and then he goes on and he starts doing these other things. And now he's writing back to them. And one of the challenges in, in listening to a letter is we don't get the whole story. It's a little bit like eavesdropping on somebody's phone conversation. You've done that before, right? You're driving in the car. The passenger, not the driver, is holding their phone because it's illegal in Minnesota to be on your phone. Nikki reminded me of this yesterday when we were leaving the movie. And you're trying to understand what the other person is saying, but you're only getting half of the conversation. That's what we have in Galatians. Paul is writing a letter to this church, and we're trying to infer from what he is saying only half of the conversation. So what is he saying? He's giving them this huge backstory. Remember last week, he was in three, three years, and then he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and he remained there for a while, 15 days. Now, here he says, he's telling them, reminding the Galatian church that after 14 years, 14 years after he came to faith in Christ, it's about A.D. 46, 47, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So he's going to the motherland, going up to Jerusalem, as we've talked about on Wednesday night. Every time you go to Jerusalem in Scripture, you're going up, no matter which direction you're headed. And notice that Paul is writing this letter with Barnabas and with Titus. So when you dive into this uh, practice, you'll notice there's a lot of third or first-person plurals that get used throughout this letter. Because Paul is not doing this on his own. Paul is not this solo person who's out doing things just by himself. And he wants the receivers of this letter, the Galatian church, churches, to know that he's not on his own. So he's got a partner. He's got two partners. He's got Barnabas, who is a Jew, and Titus, who is a Greek. And Paul is talking about the importance of how we function together. And Amanda and I were talking about this this morning. One of the key components of this letter is talking about how the church functions together. It's not this solo mission. It's about the team working together. And why does he go up to Jerusalem? That is very important. He says he goes up because he's had this revelation that God has prompted him to go up to Jerusalem because he's been doing this ministry thing and he wants to make sure that what he is doing fits with what the rest of the apostles are doing. And so he goes up and he has Titus with him because he wants to ensure that the gospel that he proclaims among the Gentiles is the correct gospel. And then again, he talks about this truth of the gospel. And you'll notice that, that we often use this word in various ways. And Paul is writing to the Galatian church because there is a problem. There is a gospel plus and there is a gospel minus. So the gospel plus is coming from this group that's called the Judaizers. And they're saying that if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must first become a Jew. And he's going to talk a lot about this concept of circumcision. 
And so you have to do Jesus plus Judaism. And so he's writing against that. And he's saying the truth of the gospel is not that. Because then there's this other group that's going to say there's the gospel minus. Basically the gospel minus Jesus, which is actually an oxymoron. What is the gospel? It's this word that we use within our Christian vernacular that some of us are like, okay, I, I might understand, but, but I'm not sure. Is it the first four uh, groups of texts that occur within the New Testament? What exactly is the gospel? Great question. Glad you asked. The truth of the gospel that Paul is proclaiming is that Jesus Christ came to die, to be resurrected, to bring about freedom for those who choose to follow him. That is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that God loves his people. He loves humanity so much that he has moved beyond the law, which is going to be another big theme throughout this letter, so that anyone, Jew or Gentile, can come to a relationship with the God of the universe and experience freedom and blessing in the present. And Paul has talked, and he's going to continue to talk, that his ministry is to the Gentiles, which is all of us. Because before this, anyone who was a non-Jew would have to become a Jew in order to move under this relationship with Yahweh. And this is the best news around. That God so desired to be in relationship with human beings, and not just specific human beings, all of humanity. Notice, he says in this little bit of parentheses, God shows no partiality. Anytime you see this little parentheses, it's very important to pay attention. God shows no partiality. And Paul is setting up things that he's going to talk about later in this letter. But the gospel is the good news that God, the God of the universe, so desires to be in relationship with all of humanity that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to grant us freedom and unity and relationship with him in the present. No ifs, ands, buts, strings attached, additional things to do. That's the good news. That we can be in relationship with the God of the universe through the death and resurrection of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's try that again. Some people were way more excited about the Yukon victory last night than they were about the statement that I just made. What is going on? Like, why is it that we gather together on a Sunday morning? We gather together to celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we who are non-chosen, non-Jews, have had made access to the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can be in relationship with God today, period. No strings attached. Exactly. Before Jesus, there was a lot of things we had to do. And men, it was painful. I mean, can I get an amen? 
from the men. And that's what Paul is talking about. He has gone to this region of Galatia and he has spread the gospel and he has set up these churches. And the problem is, these people have crept in. They're like, well, do you actually believe that? Is that really the truth? Is that really true? That that's all you have to do? Is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you can live in the freedom of Christ through the Spirit today, and you can be freed from the bondage of slavery to sin and death? I mean, come on. That's way too easy. And most people are like, yeah, it kind of sounds too easy. There has to be something else that I have to do. And so these Judaizers and these other opponents start creeping in. How often is that the case? <laughs> well, I know you accepted Jesus and you, and you think that you have, have been freed from your old self. But I'm not sure that's really true. Maybe there's some other things that you need to be doing. <laughs> I mean, how often is it the case? We're like, well, I got to go to church today. Why? Why? Why do we have to come to church to gather together, to be in communion with each other? It's not for salvation. We don't come and gather on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night for family fun night or a Thursday night for Monday Thursday. We, it, it has nothing to do with our eternal destiny for those who have said yes to Jesus Christ. And many of you are like, Okay, next week we're out. <laughs> no, this is the celebration of the freedom that we have in Christ. That's why we gather. That's why we drink good coffee and eat the most delicious cookies, especially when they're the salted caramel chocolate ones. Oh! We come together to to hear the word of God and to fellowship and, and to talk to each other and to share in this life because we have freedom in Christ. Not because we earn our salvation by being together. God calls us to be together out of an outpouring of our love for him and out of the freedom that we have in Christ. So when we show up, it, it, it doesn't gain us more points towards Salvation. It doesn't gain us more points towards our relationship with Christ. And Paul is writing against that, that, that there is this belief that is creeping in that, that you have to do more. The offer of Jesus Christ's freedom and salvation and union with God is free. We don't have to do more. All we have to do is say, yes, God, I want to follow you. Yeah, I've made many mistakes. I've screwed up. Please forgive me and bring me into right relationship with you. That's why Paul keeps using, he's going to use these words like justified and made righteous. So that we can live in the freedom of who he is. And so he gives us this picture that, that these people are coming in and, and trying to, 
to weasel their way in and talk about, well, I don't know if this gospel is, is the true gospel. And so Paul reminds them that he went up to Jerusalem because he wanted to talk to the leaders of the church. And he talks about, in verse 8, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Paul and Peter are different. They have different ministries, but they are united in Christ. They have different people that they're going to, but they're united in Christ. They are not divided in Christ. And one thing that's super interesting is if, if we want to understand what's going on here with, with all this backstory, this is like the Cliff's Notes, or for the kids today, the Spark Notes. Like, did Cliff, something happen to Cliff that he lost his notes? So we had to get new ones? I don't know. This is like the Cliff's Notes versions, but if we want to understand what's really happening, we've got to go back to Acts chapter 9 and read up to about Acts chapter 16 to understand what the full story of what's happening here. And Paul is summarizing it for the Galatian church through this letter. So he goes up and he meets, so it's like the three dudes, Paul and Barnabas and Titus, and they go and they meet with James and Peter and John the pillars of the church. And what happens? They have this great meeting. And they extend the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And this right hand of fellowship isn't just like a friendly agreement. It's a unifying connection between these three individuals on both sides saying, we are in this together. We are united in Christ. We're going to go to different people, but we're going to proclaim the gospel. And then we get this interesting next verse. He says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And what a fascinating thing. In the midst of all of this history and all of this talk about the truth of the gospel and what's happening, Paul takes the time to mention the most important thing that they are going to do is to remember the poor. And if, as we read scripture, this reference to remembering the poor is one of the most predominant themes that happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the First Testament to the Second Testament, depending on how you want to categorize it. Because caring for the poor is of the utmost importance to God. And Paul, throughout his ministry, makes this a key component, caring for the poor. And I know we've talked about this before. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have gained access to the Father through the Son and who are in relationship with the God of the universe, who have been freed from the, the bondage of slavery, are called to remember the poor. And 
And the question is, how are we doing? You know, we have these partnerships with the Sharing Bread Soup Kitchen in Brainerd, with Bridges of Hope and, and the Homeless Shelter in Brainerd, with the, Pequot, the Lakes Area Food Shelf in Pequot. But how are we doing personally in remembering the poor? Because that's what Paul says is the keystone of his ministry. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is of utmost importance for the six top people within the early church to remember the poor. And frankly, it's very easy for us to forget. Yesterday I got... I was volunteering down at the home show uh, with Bridges of Hope, and, and people would say, well, what's this, what's this homeless shelter? There's homeless people in Brainerd? What's this Operation Sandwich thing? It's a program that served 45,000 lunches to children in our community last year. The homeless shelter has seen consistently 20 people every single night that would have to sleep outside if it wasn't functioning. And we get upset when our seat heaters don't work or our car's not in the heated garage. And Paul says, we have been given freedom in Christ so that we can go and care for the poor. And we have numerous opportunities. We, Timberwood, serve at the homeless shelter. And if you're interested, I would love to get you connected. I would love to get you connected. We serve at the soup kitchen. We, we serve, we grow vegetables for the, for the food shelf. All of these opportunities to care for the poor right here in our own community, not to mention globally. And so as Paul writes this letter, he gives us these little nuggets. And it has me wondering, is that a statement that I could make? Do I want to care for the poor as eagerly as Paul does? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for making a pathway for us to be in relationship with you. Father, thank you for inviting us to be in relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we thank you for preserving this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church, that we can eavesdrop in on what he's thinking and what we are to do as followers of yours today. Holy Spirit, may you move in us in a way that we cannot ignore and we cannot push aside to join Paul in his eagerness to care for the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to please stand.